welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast, bringing you news and financial tips for doctors, dentists, teachers and lawyers. Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the latest instalment of the Wesleyan Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Robert Vaudry, our Investments Managing Director, about the 2018 budget and what it means for individuals and businesses alike, as well as what impact it might have on investments and the markets. We also, inevitably, talk about Brexit and what impacts there might be related to that. As always when we talk about investments in the markets, there is a note of caution. Past performance is not an indication of future performance, and the value of any investments can go down as well as up, meaning you could get back less than you put in. Also, it's worth bearing in mind that towards the end of the podcast, Robert gazes into his crystal ball and predicts what might happen in 2019. To be clear, they're not certainties or guarantees, they're just his opinions about what could happen over the next 12 months, based on his own 30 years experience of working in investments around the world. And you shouldn't base any investment decision on that alone. And with that, let's see what he had to say. So Robert, we've had what is probably going to be the last budget before Brexit. Uh, Chancellor Philip Hammond spoke for over an hour. What were the key points from our point of view? Well, the biggest message uh, Philip Hammond had was that austerity is coming to an end. And he clearly got that over because uh, most of the newspapers, I think apart from the Daily Mirror, kind of went with that line. Um, so he'll have deemed that a success because coming to this budget, you had Philip Hammond with you know, restrictions placed on him by Brexit, the limitations by spending commitments already announced by the Prime Minister, particularly the NHS spending, the £20 billion. Um, and you also had a series of budgets in recent years two by George Osborne and Philip Hammond's first one, where in the next day or two after the budget, it unravelled and was actually quite an embarrassment to the government. So in this one, he had you know, a limit to what he could spend money on and he, ha- he cannot afford to have got it wrong. So actually, I think he's ended up presenting a pretty decent budget in the circumstances because it is relaxing some of the fiscal constraints. Some will argue not enough, but he has made a difference... So it is a sea change in government policy. Um, he's been fortunate that uh, tax receipts have improved. So um, he's had some leeway, probably more than some of us expected. But by the same token, he's also built up some pretty sensible reserves for if there is a no-deal Brexit. And he, I know Philip Hammond is at heart a Remainer. Um, he's built up a reserve, but he's also made it clear that if we get a no-deal... He's going to have another budget, um, and I expect all the all the handouts in this budget will be off limits. If we get a deal, and whether that's a Canada Plus, a Checkers, a Checkers Plus, for want of another name, deal, he's got fifteen billion pounds sitting there as a contingency, which he'll be able to tap into and release. So my guess is the next two budgets after this one, if we get a Brexit deal, will be pretty generous in terms of kind of giveaways ahead of an election coming, you know, in theory in 2022, if the government is able to survive that long. OK, I mean, we could go on all day about Brexit, the pros, the cons, the in-betweens. But for this one in particular, what again, what were the, what were the, the key highlights that you think will affect our customers? Sure. Well, from an investment perspective, I mean, the investment team, and you would have seen the markets yesterday, the markets rallied, but that was for other factors. It wasn't particularly because of the budget. The budget is net neutral in terms of investments, particularly in equities. Uh, actually, fixed income didn't move much uh, much either. But in terms of sort of consolidating the government's position, the highlights from our perspective 
Well, one, the the Office of Budget Responsibility, or the OBR uh, for short, um, revised its economic forecasts. They revised them down for this current year that we're in, from 1.6% to 1.3%, but they revised them uh, up for the out years, so 2019, 2020, and beyond. Uh, And that's bode well, because based on those forecasts, Philip Hammond has been able to make certain assumptions about tax cuts and um, additional money to various departments uh, in those out years. Now, the tax cut, it's basically raising the threshold, um, the lower level up to £12,500, and then when you pay higher rate tax on £50,000. That was a manifesto commitment, but not until 2020. So the fact he brought it forward to 2019s, you know, a positive message Mm -hmm. and will benefit a lot of people. Different departments over and above the health service also got money. So the Defence Department got extra funds, Education got extra funds, uh, some of the other departments did okay, is how I'd phrase it. Is it going to change fundamentally our defence spending? No, but is it a signal that we may actually be able to pay our soldiers and our naval staff and uh, our Air Force more money? Yeah, it's, it's a signal in the right direction. And because of austerity and because of the cap on public sector pay, I think that was quite an important signal. It will mean, and it is a risk to the economy, that wage inflation begins to uh, breach its limits that it's been on now. And um, in terms of managing the overall economy, obviously governments have to stay within, they were obliged by the Bank of England to operate within a certain inflation band, basically around 2%. If we breach that, then that will actually probably see interest rates rise faster than um, the government is currently forecast. It's not necessarily a bad thing um, to be in a position to do that. What you don't want them is to have to rise too fast Mm -hmm. that actually it sends us over into a recession. After spending so long at record low interest rates, and they put it up again a couple of months ago, didn't they? Yeah. I suppose Mm -hmm. one of the things they don't want now is for it to just skyrocket again. It's Because everyone's so used to cheap money as well, let's not forget. So it's keeping it as steady and as... Yeah, what, as we can. what we're seeing in the US is an attempt to normalise the, the interest rate level. So the US and President Trump has been quite critical there, the Fed recently, about his forecast rate of you know, maybe three, if not four rises next year in interest rates. So that needs to be 25 bips, 25 yeah. basis points. Rises. Where in the UK right now, we probably think there'll be one more small rise in interest rates. But because of Brexit, we don't really know what's going to happen beyond that. Um, so, you know, there will be a decoupling between where interest rates end up, the level in the US versus the UK. You know, we are below the normal rate in the UK. And obviously, that's a concern for governments if we end up in a recession at some point. Because, you know, normally in a recession, you will use the interest rate policy to stimulate the economy to kind of get it going again. You can cut interest rates. But when interest rates are so low, you've got nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So there's a real fear out there that we are for want of a better phrase, going into the next recession naked. Um, We've got nothing to do. It's an embarrassment all around. So we want to actually, in an ideal world, get interest rates to be higher than than they are now. But you need the economy to be growing to do that. In the US, um, results were out last week, uh, based on the third quarter, the annualized growth rate is about 3.5%. In the UK, we're looking at probably 1.3%. That is a big difference. And unfortunately... Um, a lot of that has to do with the uncertainty based around Brexit. 
without that uncertainty, and it bodes very well for 2019, there will be such a relief in the markets that we have a deal, whatever that deal may be, that um, actually the UK, I think, will end up with better growth forecasts than are in the price at the moment than the OBR came out with yesterday. Because of the relief factor and the release of money across the board, individuals, the consumer, uh, businesses, government, suddenly going, we can now actually plan for the future. Whatever that future is, let's just get on with it. And I think that would be really quite encouraging. So, you know, more than anything else, we just need now to get a deal and then, you know, then move forward. And I think it's quite a positive thing for the UK. Because the markets and businesses and consumers, they just want certainty, don't they? And at the moment... We can't do anything until, yeah, until I mean, April I, next year. So it's we we could do stuff, but the reality is people aren't. And I think um, it, immediately after the referendum vote, it you know, not that much change. And there were still certain headline announcements going out about people continuing to invest in the UK, and there was a deal done with Nissan and all the rest of it. But I think that the trip, the drip, drip, drip of uncertainty has actually now had quite a material impact, and. You know, I think what could be hidden in the past is no longer hidden. It's been exposed. And it has been meant that the UK has gone from being the fastest growing G7 country to the slowest now. You know, and there isn't a material difference in what's going on. All countries have full and growth. They all have the problems of limited productivity gains. You know, we've all still suffered the consequences of the financial crisis in 2008. Um, but other countries have managed to, on the whole, come out of it. The US in particular... I would say continental Europe to a degree, but they have their own structural problems. We know that. But we have um, we've struggled. And, and, we, and the main difference between us and everyone else is Brexit. So talking about businesses, uh, there was an announcement for them around the uh, investment allowance, wasn't there? There was an announcement about the investment allowance. It was a decent change, actually. So for UK businesses, um, there's been a two-year increase in the investment allowance it's risen from £200,000 to £1 million. It will make a big difference to their margins, particularly at the start-up phase. There was also some news for businesses on the high street as well, with uh, a new fund supporting them. Yeah, none of us can have avoided what's happened in the last year, where the likes of Amazon have impacted how the high street's functioning, or, or not functioning anymore. There's been, between House of Fraser, Jessup's, Mothercare, Debenhams is the latest scare story... Uh, it's been tough for the high street. And so what Philip Hammond announced was a new £675 million fund uh, which will support retailers to help them cope with this changing retail environment. It'll probably mostly help smaller retails rather than the large ones. Um, and it will particularly also help um, because alongside this fund, the government's looking to reduce the business rates burden uh, following further consultation with businesses. And I know even around some of the suburbs of Birmingham, where we're based, some of the business rates have absolutely shocked me how high they are. Mm -hmm. And you do look at businesses sometimes and think, how do you survive? Because you know, almost on the 1st of January, they've got to make far more money than I can ever anticipate they would make just to kind of pay the business rates, let alone pay staff, pay goods, everything else. So it is much needed. Whether it's enough, you know, who knows? But um, I think it's a move in the right direction for what's been going on on the high street. So it's it's a welcome measure, but probably further steps will need to be taken. It also comes alongside um, an attempt, not for a sales tax, but sort of for a, a, a tech tax 
on some of those large US global tech companies now. Uh, Philip Hammond was very clear to say it's not a sales tax. Um, he's going to go out to consultation. How it will work, I think, still needs a, a kind of a lot of consi- health, careful consideration. And he did also say that if in the next two years, you know, globally, or at least on a European-wide basis, we were able to come up with a measure that a number of countries could implement at the same time, that would be his preference. But this has been dragging along. We do know, you know, there are often headlines in the newspapers that certain tech companies have made seemingly extraordinarily low profits in the UK um, and really are paying a lot less tax than than staff at Wesleyan. And that doesn't appear to be right. Universal credit is something that's been at the heart of this government since since the, the day entered Downing Street. Uh, it looks like it's reaching a heady climax now in terms of the rollout and what happens next to it. It got quite a big mention again in the budget. So what, what was the key point there? Well, Universal credit has become a, a bit of an Achilles heel for this government. Um, I must say, I, I, I know Ian Duncan Smith, and I think he's done rather a good job in uh, when he was Secretary of State driving this through the House of Commons. And, and I think he won pretty broad support. The problem is in the implementation, and it was always known it was going to be a phased implementation, but I think there has been an attempt, because with Brexit, so much other domestic policy hasn't been able to be implemented, to sort of see this as a flagship and implement it perhaps quicker than has made sense. And that's come back to haunt the government. So what they've done this time is the Chancellor has announced an extra £1.7 billion over the next five years to support universal credit. Um, It's called the Universal Credit Work Allowance. And it's an increase of £1,000 with a further £200 million to help with the transition over and above the £1.7 billion. So this is likely to mean for those people who are um, on benefits but perhaps working and in that sort of kind of where you fall between the cracks, uh, we estimate that something like £673 per annum could end up going to those individuals to uh, boost their annual income, which, which I think will make a material difference. Again, the question is, is this enough or does more need to be put to work in this area, but it is definitely a step in the right direction. And it is absolutely, without question, going to those people who most need it. Right, so that was Budget 2018. The next one will be the spring statements as they are now, unless there's a no-deal Brexit. What other things are on the horizon that you think we should be looking out for? So, you know, in theory, he's got 12 months to see what the lay of the land is, unless there's a no-deal Brexit. But um, it's difficult to think beyond Brexit, frankly, because we are in November in the eye of the storm again. And uh, we don't know what will happen. But let's, let's just, if we can assume that there is a, a deal of some sorts done, let's make that assumption, which is a, you know, which is a reasonable assumption. There'll be, there'll be some time to implement it. But frankly, in terms of investments... I genuinely believe, you know, first of all, Sterling will rally if there is a deal done. When there is a deal done, Sterling will rally. Now, short term, that will have negative implications for the FTSE 100 because 70% of their earnings are overseas. If Sterling rallies, normally that's not very good for FTSE 100 companies. And it's much better for FTSE 250 companies, and they certainly will benefit. But actually, uh, my judgment is that the relief rally will 
absolutely be far more um, or carry far more weight than the impact of sterling. And actually, the entire UK equity market will rise on the back of a deal being done. Once that, cert- once that uncertainty has been removed, that'll be great, I think, for UK markets. And I, I, I would sit here saying UK markets could well be one of the best performers uh, around the world next year, in 2019. You will also have a Chancellor who um, will, will be able to go and dip into that £15 billion reserve uh, as he thinks about his next budget, uh, will have uh, a level of investment, consumer spending, government spending, business spending, which will, um, which will be coming, you know, money that's all been hidden under the beds from everyone will be coming out and being spent. Now, the risk is you'll get inflation, but before inflation kicks in, uh, there'll be such a goodwill benefit, a material change in atmosphere, that um, tax receipts to the government will, will increase dramatically. And um, I suspect in 12 months' time, if Phil Hammond is still sitting there, he'll be a very happy Chancellor, able to um, probably reduce a tax burden, be able to hand out money to all the departments that need it, including the NHS, particularly for, I suppose, care for the elderly and mental health care, which we know are priorities now. Um, he'll have more money for education and defence and the police. Um, yeah, he'll be, he'll be in a place that no chancellor has been in for a number of years. Um, and it will, um, yeah, the whole atmosphere will be very different. Things have got very difficult, whichever side of this debate you're on. Um, I think we'll all... Remainer or Brexiteer will just be so relieved when it is something that we will look back on. Perhaps it hasn't been our finest hour, but perhaps the recovery will more than make up for it. And that's our show for this week. Again, there are no certainties around investments in the stock markets, so if you are considering taking the plunge, talk to a financial advisor who will be able to guide you through the minefield and identify options that will best suit you and your appetite for risk. You can find out more about what we do around investments by going to wesleyan.co.uk and clicking on the Investments and Savings tab at the top of the page. More information about what we're up to generally can also be found by searching for us across Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. There's also a back catalogue of podcasts, including the one where Robert talks about his first day at work in 1987, which actually turned out to be Black Monday when markets around the world crashed. So Black Monday in 1987 there was a more than 20% correction in the equity markets, uh, both in the UK and around the world. It was my first week um, in work. I had just joined a, a mid-size UK broker called Guima Montague, and it was my day on the stock exchange floor. And in those days, it wasn't all electronic trading. A lot of it was sort of people shouting and hand signals. And there I was in this pit with all these people who were absolutely going crazy. And to be honest, I really didn't have much of an idea why. I thought, oh, well, this is what happens. It looked like a good, fun place to be. And I do remember walking out of the stock exchange, and uh, CNN had recently launched as a, a US cable channel. And uh, they thrust a camera in my face and said, my God, what's going on in there? And I have to say, I made up some, made up <laughs> hopefully some vaguely sensible comments, um, only to find it all got beamed around the US and various friends of mine in the US suddenly start emailing me and saying, you know, just been on telly over there. But anyway, so it was a baptism of fire. To hear the rest of that story, and to ensure you don't miss any future episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. So, 
Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>